You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. Seeking to do for those of you that that maybe haven't been around, maybe this is your first time. Um, what we've been seeking to do is gain an understanding of of what the church actually is and what the church should do in light of who she is. So I, I think that there's uh, a lot of confusion around around that topic, especially in our day today. There's a lot of conversation about what that might, should, or could look like. Um, but what we want to do is just dive into the Word of God um, and, and really become aware, cognizant of what those things are so that we can really rid, of, rid ourselves of, of, of anything that is not from God himself. That's, that's really what we want to do um, and what we want to seek to be here at Sojourn. And so in light of that, we've, we've been walking through a series that we've been titled The Church. And the last three weeks, we really just spent some time sort of talking through what it what what is the church or who is the church, more importantly, um, and, and what is it that God intends to do in and through it. And so the first week we talked about this idea that the, the church is the continuation, really, of, of the entire narrative of the Bible, that contrary to sort of popular belief, which is that, that the Bible is sort of a collection of, of disparate stories that, that have just kind of been sort of haphazardly thrown together, um, that the Bible is actually... A, a cohesive story that it's all pointing to one end, that it's all pointing to a certain purpose and meaning um, for for life um, and for truth. And so um, we see in that, that that God created all things with the intention that he would have a people, a people that would belong to him, but also a people that through whom he would reveal himself um, to, to the world. Um, we see that in the creation of, of Adam and Eve, and we see that continuing throughout uh, the narrative of the Bible. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how this, the, the church, which is sort of a, a, a modern day term, modern day in the sense that it's only 2,000 years old instead of much more than that, um, is that that's actually a continuation of that th- same theme, that the, the church is actually the, the continuation of this idea that God would have a people to himself. Um, and that he's built this church on the foundation that was laid in Jesus, meaning that the church is necessarily defined by its relationship to Jesus, which is why we say every week that we are all about him and what he has done for us, about the good news that although we could not pay the debt that was due, he came and paid it for us. And then last week we talked about this idea that we are the, the fellowship of the Spirit, that, that even as Jesus said, that he has sent us a helper, and that as the people of God, as the church of Christ, we've empowered, been empowered by the Spirit to actually do what God has called us to do. So in the moments where the church shares victory, where it actually lives into its identity, where it begins to resemble more the people of God and less a group of selfish people, that, that the power for that is actually not anywhere inside of us, but that God has given that as well as a measure of his grace. And what we're hoping to do now, so that, that was really all about who the church is, right? Like who, who makes up the church? What is it that defines her? And we took that all from the, from the person and work of Jesus, the, the, the character, the nature of God. And what we'd want to do now is really move into a season in which we talk about what is it that the church does? Because I think that in our, in our time today, again, this, these are sort of some things that if you're not a Christian and you've sort of walked into the room today, this is maybe strange and familiar territory. And so you may have some questions as to why do we sing? What is, what is this thing that we call communion? Why does somebody have to get up and sort of deliver a monologue that may or may not be good depending on the weekend, right? So what are the things that the church does and, and why? 
And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is uh, is that the church should preach the word of God. And so that's kind of going to be the the topic today. Normally, um, I do I do three points, but we're we're not going to do that today. All I'm going to do is seek to answer um, really a, a few questions. Um, and so, a, a, a defining characteristic of the church, meaning what the church does, is that is that it preaches the word of God. And, and the questions that we want to answer is, what what do we preach? Why do we preach? How do we preach? To whom do we preach? And what happens when we preach? Right? So th- those are the questions that we're going to answer. And if you didn't write all those down, that's, that's okay. I'm going to restate them as we go along. Um, but I really think that uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 um, gives us a, a great picture um, of, of what that looks like and really answers all of those questions for us. So that's where we're going. And so the first, the first question that we want to answer to ourselves, if, if the church is the people of God and, and the church preaches why do we do it, and, and what is it that we, that we actually preach? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So this particular question isn't, isn't going to take a, a, a ton of mental dexterity, I think, for any of us, in terms of what it is that the church should preach if it is indeed the, the, the true church. The church should preach the gospel of God. Like the good news about what Jesus has done on our behalf it should be the, the dominating content that we preach. That all that we endeavor to communicate, whether it's in song or in prayer or in word in this particular setting or even in our neighborhood parishes, is that we would preach the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, although we were more sinful than we could ever dare imagine, we're also more loved and accepted than we could ever dare hope because of what he's done for us. That that is is what we preach. And while this this may seem sort of like a very simple and sort of obvious truth, especially if you're a believer in the room, the the, the fact of the matter is that much of the confusion surrounding and and revolving around the the American church today is because the church sort of goes on to preach things um, that that fall really under under sort of the guise of Scripture, but are really just sort of speculation um, and opinion. Right? Or maybe, maybe they're going to preach to you about sort of you having your best life now. The preaching becomes you-centric. Or maybe they're, gonna, maybe they're going to preach to you about something that, that, that's great that they've done, and their preaching becomes sort of them-centric. And so it's, it's follow me, it's look at me, look at how great I am. But it's, it's, it's pretty simple, and what we see here is that the, the man Paul says that what the church does is it, it preaches the, the Word of God. It preaches the gospel of God. So as simple as it may sound, the fact of the matter is that there is quite a bit of confusion as to what that actually means because there's quite a few churches that don't actually do it, to which we would contend that's probably not the church. So what does the, the, what does the church preach? We preach the, the gospel of God. But the, the question that we have to come to or answer is why? And so this is what, uh, what Paul goes on to say, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So, so we've answered the question as to what we should preach. Now we're going to answer the question as to, well, why? Why should we preach? 
right? What is it that really drives this whole endeavor? Because I'll tell you what, it's, it's not because Marshall just, just, just greatly enjoys getting up in front of people and talking. And, and it's really, I, I promise you, it's, it's not because I need my ego to be stroked because a certain amount of people fill a room to hear me talk. Because I would live my life just, probably even, even more happily if I didn't have that kind of responsibility. But, but, what, but what compels us, what compels us to do this is that it is, it's pleasing to God. It's as simple as that. It's pleasing to God. Now, we're, we're going to see a little bit later some uh, uh, sort of a greater understanding of, of what else happens, but the primary sort of driving factor as to our existence, if we go back to who we are in Christ, that we are the people of God, that we're a people to whom and through whom he would reveal himself, if we belong to him, then we exist to, to please him, right? And so in, in, in preaching the word of God, like the unadulterated gospel truth, in preaching that, we actually are capable of, of pleasing God himself. And so, that's, so that's what we preach. That's, that's why we ultimately preach it. And we'll go on to see some, some more effects of that as well. But, but why is it that, that we preach the, the word, Right? Like, why is it that we actually go into a, a sort of a defined, a preset sort of scripture? Why is it that it always comes from the Bible? Why could it not come from other sort of varied methods of teaching? Or maybe there's other sort of schools of thought that are, that are fairly closely aligned with maybe some of the tenets or ends of Christianity. Well, it's because we believe that, that as uh, John 1 would say, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God, God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself most clearly through his Word. Both in what he spoke and what he promised would happen, and what did happen in the coming and the work of Jesus. That, again, the Word became flesh. Like, so that in Jesus, what God says became visible to us. And that and that we believe that, as Jesus said, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so if we are endeavoring towards truth, then we're endeavoring towards Jesus. And we believe that it's in the scriptures that he's most clearly and personally revealed. We, we see God's character. We see God's commands. And we see God's commitments or his decrees. And we also see how they come to pass. So what we preach and why we preach, right? We, we preach the word of God because we believe it to be the truth of God revealed to us. And we preach it in order that he might gain glory, in order that he might be satisfied, in order that he might be re rejoiced over, honored, worshipped in the way in which he deserves to be worshipped. So the, the next question that we ask is, is how, how then should we make that happen, right? If we know what we're supposed to preach, if we know why we're supposed to preach, how, how should we do it? What, what should that look like? And this is, this is probably the, the most important question of, of this entire sermon because I think that this, th this is probably the, the, the place in which the most hang-ups with, with our faith happen. It's not, it's not necessarily because of what or why, but it's because, of, it's because of how we communicate. It's because of how we preach um, that we're often derided or insulted or mocked. And, and hopefully what we'll see here is that's probably actually with, with good reason, 
So how do we preach? Uh, We'll go on and we'll read. Um, In verse five, it says this, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For remember, brothers, our labor and toil We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and blameless and righteous was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There's a a few things that we see here in terms of characteristics of of how it is that that Paul preached. So 1 Thessalonians is is a a letter written to a church, a a collection, a group of believers um, who are are brought together again by the the person and work of Jesus. And and he's saying, look, essentially what he's doing here is he's, he's giving you reason to trust what it is that he has to say. He says, he says, look, I didn't, I didn't come to you for purposes of greed. I didn't, I didn't come trying to deceive. I didn't come with error. I didn't come with arrogance. I didn't come with pride. We toiled. We worked. We struggled alongside you. We were affectionately desirous of you. We nurtured you. We loved and cared for you. This is how, this is how you can know that, that our, our motives are true and real and good and God-inspired. So here's the thing, while, while what we preach is imperative and why we preach is, what will, is the only thing that, that will compel us to actually do it, how we do it is, is really just, just right underneath in terms of importance is the how, like how we preach. So how do we preach? I think there's a few things that we can take here, right? As Paul says that they were like that he was like a mother, that he was like a father to them. That there was genuine love and care on their behalf, right? And it, and it, many of us maybe not uh, mothers and fathers in here quite yet because it's a it's a young crowd, but um, many of us have had mothers and fathers and whether they were good fathers or or bad fathers or mothers either way. There, there, there is to some degree an understanding of this sort of affection, right? Like this sort of understanding of, of, of that relationship and, and sort of what that should look like. Like even if you didn't have that, you sort of have an ideal or an understanding of what that should look like. That's what Paul is saying. He's, he's communicated in that way. He's preached to them in that way with that affection underneath all of those things. So here's the thing, he's, although he's been loving, although he's been gracious, although he's been kind, he, he says what? That he's exhorted them, right? So, so his words haven't all necessarily been pretty. They haven't all been the most palatable words. They haven't all been the most sort of inspiring words, but they've all been birthed out of that place. He, he's encouraged them. He's charged them, right? He's, he's preached to them with humility, You see, I think, I think Paul does a really great job here of, of speaking to 
a lot of the perversion probably that, that you and I have experienced. So whether, whether you're a Christian or not in the room, if you have had an experience in a church, with a church, or been around a church, or, or maybe you just read a, enough newspapers to sort of get a, a, a cultural caricature of the church, you, you've probably seen a lot of people get this wrong. Like the, the how they preach. Like they come in error, like without the truth. Right? So rather than, uh, under the guise of preaching the word, they come at you with sort of just formulated opinion that they then back up with the word rather than seeing all that they say informed by it. As Paul would say, that he didn't come with error. Or maybe we've seen maybe we've seen sort of the pulpit or the 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 use of preaching in order to to manipulate a, a congregation or a group of people to do something or, or or to come to sort of a desired conclusion or end, right? Maybe maybe with deception. It, we've seen we've seen the word of God, right? If you've seen the book of Eli, the whole the, the whole movie. Is about a struggle for this word. Why? Not so that it can be used appropriately, because if it's if it's abused, if it's used inappropriately, it can be used to manipulate people, right? To wield power over people. We've seen that, we've even seen that in history. Or maybe you've seen it used for flattery, right? Like Paul says, we never came with words of flattery. Maybe you've maybe you've sat underneath someone and, and you've heard about only about how good you are. And only about how much God just wants you to have victory. And only about how much really just everything is about you and should remain that way. Or maybe you've seen people preach with a pretext for greed. Maybe one of your objections to the church, maybe you're not a Christian in the room and your objection to the church is that they just want my money. And, and in, in fairness, you probably have a good complaint because there are churches out there or places that would call themselves a church that do those things. Like that, that use the mode of preaching and that preach what, what, what they would claim is the word in order to achieve these desired results. That you might be flattered, that you might be deceived, that you might, be, that you might give into or feed their greediness. Or that they might even preach for their own glory. Right? I mean, he, he goes on to say, nor did we seek glory from people. He's not, he's not looking for any of those things. And that's, and that's where the truth of his appeal is out there for anyone to see and interact with. So, the, so this is, this is what, what we sort of have to hope and, and aspire to do, right? So if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be the church, who, the, the, the people of God, both to whom and through whom God would reveal himself, and if we're going to preach the gospel word, and if we're going to preach it because we want God to get glory, then we must, we must pay equal attention to the way in which we communicate it. We have to always sort of be laid bare before the truth and, and ask ourselves, to, to what point and purpose am I, am I delivering these things? And so again, the, 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 the true church of God will preach the word of God. That doesn't mean that people won't get offended. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be moments where, where whoever's up here does get red-faced and a little angry. But it does mean that, that the undercurrent of all that should be humility, should be love, should be care. 
both for one another in the church, but also for those outside of the church. Look, we've, we've always said this. We, we want to be a place where you can belong before you have to believe or behave. Right? So, so much of our, of our culture right now is sort of this, this, this growing polarization where it's like, um, if you don't agree with and believe these things, um, then, then we probably should just re- remove ourselves from one another. And yet, and yet what we see all throughout the New Testament is this, is this idea that, that, that Paul and Peter and John and all these different guys, all of these different faithful Christians step out into the world. And they deliver the gospel message with boldness but with humility, right? I mean, that's, that's what he says here. He says, though we had been treated shamefully at Philippi, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel and not for any other reason than for that you would know who God is and what he's done on your behalf. So here's the thing. If, if Sojourn is going to be known for, for what we want it to be known for, which is, which is that it's a place that knows and loves Jesus, then we have to preach the word, but we have to preach it in such a way that people aren't distracted by, by anything other than the, the, the inherent offense that is in the gospel. Right? Like, look, look if, you're, if you're not a Christian in the room, let me just be very transparent with you. I know, I know, one, that this probably to some degree seems silly to you. And then, and then number two, I, I also know that even though it seems silly, if, if you can sort of come into this place and engage with it for what it is and not with, not with any other mass, not with anything sort of layered on top of it, not this and anything, but if you can just come in and engage with this, then you can make your assumptions and I will, or, or you can make your conclusions, whatever you come to in that sphere or in that area. And at least I will know that you have made that decision based upon what we really believe to be true. Right? Like, like, that's what I would want. Because, again, in our culture today, we have all kinds of caricatures, all kinds of sort of misunderstandings about what the church really is, what it, what it should really do, and what it should be about. And the thing is, that the, church is the church and the preaching of the word serve one purpose, and that is to, to make known the goodness and the glorious riches of God's grace towards us in Christ Jesus. So we've, we've answered a couple questions in terms of what do we preach, why do we preach, how should we preach, um, to, to whom should we preach, right? Um, Paul goes on um, in, verse, in verse 13, and he says this, or sorry, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And he goes on later on to, to talk about their, their preaching endeavors to the Gentiles or those who are outside of the faith. All right, so there's, there's probably a couple of questions that, that you might have, right? So, um, and I'll just talk to two different groups of people in the room. If, if you're a believer in the room, you may ask yourself, um, Okay, so, so we know what to preach, we, we, know, we know why, um, and we, we maybe even know how, but, but why is it sort of that, that we, people who have, I, I guess if you want to use old terminology, why is it that we who have been converted or we who already believe this need to hear it over and over and over again? Right? Like, like why do we continue sort of to come back to the table and really hear probably a very, a very simple message? Like, I, I don't get too flashy. I think there's a, a couple of reasons that, um, 
that that preaching is for the believer. Like so, pre- so preaching is is for all men. We we preach to all men, but there's there's a, a couple of particular reasons as to why it's for the believer. Um, number one, we're forgetful people, right? So, and and this doesn't matter if if you're if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. You you probably have interacted with the church at some point and said, you know what, this doesn't look a lot like what I read about in in the Bible. Like, so in the Bible, I hear love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, gentleness. I hear love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. And, and, and I don't know if I, I see the people of God doing that. Well, so, so what, what does that really come down to? Does that mean that maybe we're just, we're, we're not the people of God or, or, or what is it? Does this mean that we sort of have to live up to a certain moral code or standards in, in order that we might then remain acceptable before God, like that, that Jesus sort of let us in the door, but, but the bouncer might kick us out? Absolutely not, but we, but we are forgetful people. And, and much of the journey of the Christian is not something that happens sort of in one moment, um, maybe on a Sunday morning or something, where you sort of pr- prayed a prayer and that, and that was it. But that the, the ongoing journey of following Jesus is just that, that it's, that it's a journey that there's growth involved and that, and that part of our growth comes from being reminded, remembering who it is that we are in Christ and because of Christ. And God ultimately leads and guides his church by his word. I guess that's, that's what we're built upon. That's how he chooses to reveal himself. He's chosen to reveal himself in his word. And we're going to be transformed by it. Now, if you're not a believer, you're probably like, okay, so why does this matter at all, you know, for, for me, for someone who doesn't sort of hold to that, to that viewpoint or to that understanding of, of the truth? Why, why or how is preaching for me? Um, I, think there's, I think there's a couple of things. We, are, we already touched on one a little bit, but ultimately preaching is, is important for the non-believer because, because what we want to do by it is to contend for the truth in an arena where it is often distorted by people who are manipulating the message to achieve desired results. Right? So, like, uh, again, if, if, if you're not a Christian in the room, I want you to reject Jesus for who Jesus is, not for who somebody else sort of painted him to be incorrectly. I, I, if anything, I want you to have and know the, the truth about what we believe. With, 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 no, with no fancy wrapper, with no, with no hook attached, no, no line and sinker. Just that, just for what it is. And then the, this, the, the second reason that it's important for you, and, and I'll just, this is where I'll just get very honest with you. Like, okay, so, so what we believe, and understand, I, I know that this is going to be probably a struggle for you to hear. But what we believe says that apart from the, the good, righteous work of Jesus, you are hopeless and helpless. That, that, that you'll never have a full understanding of, of the peace, love, joy, uh, and, and grace that you were meant to experience because you are separated from God by your own sinfulness. And that there's nobody else to blame but yourself. But that Jesus came and and he lived the life you couldn't live, and he died the death that you should have died in order that you might be restored to fellowship, restored to relationship with this God of the universe who knows, loves, and cares for you and has revealed that in his son, Jesus. 
and then he offers that freely to you. Like that's, that's what we believe. And so we believe that, that your, your fullest experience of being human, your fullest experience of being able to understand your purpose for even breathing or existence is found in the person and work of Jesus, the knowledge of, of God the Father. And we, we, we believe that to be true. And so we preach, we really do, we preach in hopes that you, would, that you would reject or affirm Jesus based on who he actually is. Like that, that you, would, you would reject or affirm Jesus based on that. Not, on, not, not based on, maybe he was a moral teacher, maybe he had some cool things to say, some not cool things to say. But that, but that he actually came to, to do something on your behalf and that by it you have life and breath and, and, and everything that you could possibly need. So, the, the last question that we want to ask, what, what is it that happens when we preach? And this is, and this is where, really, hopefully, that, that, that answer for to whom we preach comes from. Verse 13 says this, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So what happens when we preach? Well, the word, the word goes to work. For non-believer and for believer alike, like the, the, the word is effectual in us. Like it, like it produces something. You see, I think, I think there's a, a tendency maybe for us to look at this collection of, of letters and books and histories and poems and, and, and letters and all, all kinds of sort of things that, and genres that comprise the Bible and, and say to ourselves, you know, I've got to sort of draw something deeper out of it. Or, or, that, like, or that it's like sort of, you know, a, a, a Salinger book or something like that where you can sort of, you can read into it what, what you want and sort of how it applies to you and how it makes you feel. Like people, people read, you know, Catcher in the Rye or whatever, and they, they, get, they get all kinds of different things from that. But, but what we really believe is, is when we come to this for what it is, as what we believe to be the, uh, the body of truth revealed for us, that it has a concrete sort of, uh, a, a, a concrete truth that it would desire for us to see and to know and to hear, and that that actually works in us. Like, so it's not something that we have to draw out of, but it's something that actually pours into us. That, that the word of truth does that. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, you, didn't, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work. And I know it says among you believers there. Um, so I want us, again, just to kind of tackle it from, from both of those viewpoints. How does it, how does it work in the believer? It works, it works to change us. It is at work in developing fruit in us. If you are a believer upon reading the word of God, upon meditating upon it, upon having it preached to you, upon coming into contact with it in community, you will necessarily be changed. So we, so, so we want to be a community here at Sojourn who are consistently growing. How are we going to do that? By, by coming into contact with the word of truth because that's what works in us. 
So it's not it, it, it's not a matter of sort of how how good can someone preach or, or how how sort of can these things be drawn out. It's it really is just the word of God that that works in us. So, although the temptation is to look at this as sort of a, an inactive or a neutral agent waiting for you to exert some sort of determination, um, it's actually living and active. Hebrews 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if you're a Christian in the room and you're like, man, I'm just, I'm really struggling with, with this particular thing, or man, I don't, I, I don't really understand why it is that I, I tend to behave this way when the Bible calls me to live in, in this way. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I, I, I don't want to do, I, I do those things. What, what, what's my solution? Where does my hope come from? Where does my help come from? First Thessalonians is telling us is that our help comes in, in the word of God, that it's been revealed to us, that it's been, that it's been spoken over us, that we're constantly being uh, transformed, renewed by it. And if you're, if you're not a believer in the room, again, we, we believe that even though it says here in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 that the, the word of God is at work in believers, um, we believe that it works in non-believers as well because Romans 10 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so here's, here's the good news this morning. And if you're a member of, of Sojourn, I think that this is probably something that we can rejoice in. Um, collectively together. Um, I mean, right now, right now there's people sitting in this room here today that because of the word of God, again, not, not because Marshall's grade or speaks in, in a particularly um, helpful tone, but that because the word of God was preached, their lives were changed. Like that the, the feet that brought good news, like people called upon the name of Christ and, and believed and were saved. And so what happens when we preach the word of God? People, people come to know Jesus. Like, like what was dead becomes alive. That those, those who had not received mercy received mercy. That those who were hopeless and helpless are now righteous and faithful because of Jesus. And not because of anything other than his kindness towards them. And so you want to you know you want to know why we preach at Sojourner, you want to know why the church could and should preach. Not only does it serve sort of the, the inner workings of, of the body of Christ, the church, the people of God, but it also serves to expand the kingdom of God. Like that, that by it, those who are, per, are perishing come to know life and life abundant. And that that's, like that that's actually happened here. And so, so we want more of that. Again, not, not because of any glory that it brings to us, but because God is pleased through it because he's pleased by it. So, if we could wrap it up, um, there's really just uh, kind of a couple of things that I would, I would want to say. This is the, kind of the final thing. Um, and the, the question that we want to answer is, is who should preach? Right? Who should preach? So if, if, if we have an understanding of, of what we should preach, why we should preach it, how, how it should be preached, um, and what happens when we preach, and, and to whom we should preach... Who, who's actually res- responsible for it? 
Well, the, the, both the good and the terrifying news is that if you are a Christian in the room, all of us are. All of us are. So just because I get to hold a microphone for, you know, 40 semi minutes, um, d- depending on the nature of, of the talk, um, on a Sunday morning, doesn't mean that sort of your responsibility has been fulfilled. But that all of us are called to preach, and, and we're, we're called to do what? To preach what? The un- unadulterated gospel, the hundred-proof the, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're to do it with boldness and confidence. Right? Because, because what is it that Paul comes to the conclusion of in verse 13? Paul doesn't say, and you should be thanking me because you accepted my words as truth. He doesn't say, and you should lavish upon me great gifts because I've made you feel better about yourself or because I've nurtured you. What does he say? He says, man, we thank, we thank God constantly. And this is the boldness and the confidence in which they preach. Knowing that, God, that they have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So look, there's a, there's a temptation, I think, for every Christian to sort of sit back and think to themselves, what is it that I really have to offer? I, I, can't, I can't speak the same way maybe that Marshall speaks. or I, don't, I, I haven't studied as much. But look, you have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel. And so preach it. Preach the unadulterated gospel. Don't cut corners. Preach the unadulterated gospel. Preach it as it's necessary to be preached. Exhort, charge, encourage. And do it with boldness and with confidence, knowing knowing what happens when we preach, which is that we're changed and that people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. This is, this is who the church is and this is what the church does for the glory of God and for the good of our city. Let's pray.